where two babes blab about biology and compete to outweird each other with the most outlandish biofacts. We're your hosts, Libby and Kelsey. And today we're taking a big wet gulp of a dish best served cold. That's right. We're talking about revenge. <laughs> In its purest form, revenge is inflicting harm on someone for some wrong done. Many scientists believe animals absolutely do do this especially highly social ones. Humans and other primates evolved to cooperate. This means we are inclined to punish individuals that threaten cooperation. Other scientists explain it as a form of reciprocity. A you stab my back, I'll stab yours and kill your whole family type deal. Still others are wary of applying concepts like revenge, which often have a moral component to any part of the animal kingdom. This episode is asking once and for all, do animals get revenge? In an attempt to answer this question, we're going to give you all some examples of animals behaving in ways that could be considered revenge. And yes, we will be discussing those orcas nobody can shut up about. Thank God. Tell us a fact, precious. <laughs> well, since you asked so nicely. As you know, Kelsey, I started a new job recently. I'm working for a PhD student who is conducting research on songbirds, which means my job is to follow birds around and look for their nests. So we can measure things like reproductive success and take blood samples from their nestlings. Hell yeah. A working woman. <laughs> we love a career gal. <laughs> we have a couple of so-called focal species. Things like yellow warblers, red-winged blackbirds, etc. But one of our bonus species that we're not actually looking for but still getting data on is the brown-headed cowbird. Mm. This is because the cowbird is a nest parasite. Cowbirds don't build their own nests. Instead, they find other birds already built nests and plop their eggs right down. <laughs> just plop them right out. Yeah. They're like, ooh, look at this nice nest. Let me just, what if I just sat here? Can you imagine breaking into someone else's house, giving birth on their couch, leaving the squirming infant, and just walking out the door with your no pants on? That is exactly what they do. Except I guess instead of it being a squirming infant, like... It it's would be egg. it would be like if you did IVF. <laughs> on someone else's couch. <laughs> on someone else's couch. <laughs> I bet it's still kinda messy. <laughs> yeah. They do none of the rearing of their offspring, leaving the host parents to incubate and feed the baby cowbird. Cowbird nestlings often hatch sooner and get much bigger than their host siblings. They monopolize the food the host parents bring to the nest, and sometimes they even eject the other nestlings out of the nest. That's so rude. (laughs) And also murderous. Yeah, no, they they are born and immediately crave violence. (laughs) They will shimmy their little bird butts underneath the other nestling and then sort of pop them up until they fall out of the nest. I've seen videos of this. Yes. And it is pretty gnarly. It's it's gnarly, but also these baby cowbirds are born with the instinct to twerk their siblings out of the nest. (laughs) It's really disturbing. Obviously, we're going to get into this later. But, like, it's hard to not be like, what an evil little creature. Yeah, it is difficult because theoretically, like, we're 
doing this, we actually did an outreach thing the other day, and someone asked, like, do you ever destroy cowbird eggs when you find them in nests? And some projects do do that. Really? Um, Because, so they're not invasive, so we can't hate them the way we hate an invasive species. They're no cane toad. But they are what's considered a nuisance species, and so they do, like, cause a lot of problems for songbirds. And so some projects will fully just, like, get rid of cowbird eggs. We don't because the particular goals of the project mean that we really want to, like, minimize our disturbance. Um, And also cowbird nests, like, serve as a kind of interesting control in -hmm. that we have all these different focal species and we're measuring metals in their blood. But we can't compare the species to each other except that cowbirds are getting dropped into each of their nests. So we have oh. one species that's getting fed the diet of each of these birds. So it's perfect. Yeah, so it's like actually a really helpful scientific control in this yeah. case. So we kind of want them there for science reasons, but like ecologically they're terrible. Do cowbirds, they don't always get their uh, little uh, nest mates out of the nest. No, they don't. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So a lot oh, of times okay. when we see them, like... They're alongside babies, but like I said earlier, they, a lot of times they can hatch sooner and get really bigger. And so even if the other birds hatch, they can kind of monopolize resources and make the others not develop as well. So like one of our species is willow flycatchers and willow flycatchers have a really long incubation period, longer than other species. And so the cowbird, so we're kind of running into a problem where these cowbirds will hatch and they'll be ready to sample, but they're like willow flycatcher siblings are way too little to take blood samples from and so we Mm. can't sample the ones we actually want to sample because Mm. this cowbird has hatched so early and if we waited until the flycatchers were old enough then the cowbird would be a problem and we don't want to like like get too close to it in case it force fledged interesting cowbirds that that adopted problem child (laughs) i know where you're going with this joke (laughs) I have nowhere to go with it. <laughs> I lived it. <laughs> so the problem with the cowbirds being in these other species' nests is that like this is a huge problem for smaller species like the yellow warbler, where parents are just trying desperately to feed an insatiable nestling that's quickly growing bigger than they are. Like there are crazy pictures of a yellow warbler like feeding a cowbird nestling that is way bigger than it. Um, and it's absurd. Meanwhile, their own progeny have just been yeeted to the forest floor. Mm. And these, the, the, because there's different types of net, like, bird, like, nest parasites, where uh, some of them, their, their eggs will mimic the, like, the host species nest, and then other birds, like, are not smart enough to like notice the difference in their like the way that their nestlings look or the eggs look compared to the uh cowbird in this case and so they don't it doesn't matter so like the warbler mom doesn't just doesn't notice like why is why is my child so big and different from me those are all really really good questions and i'm about to answer and debunk them oh so get excited because it's a little bit more complicated than that interesting so this is obviously this is what cowbirds have evolved to do and it's a very successful strategy for them but my question is similar to you when i learned about all of this is sort of like why don't host birds eject the cowbird egg before it ever hatches like why don't they just kick it out because in a lot of cases at least in our focal species they don't look alike even just like 
with size, color, etc. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. Why does the mama bird not just go, fuck this baby, this is yeah. not mine, I'm out of here. And sometimes they do, and if, like, a cowbird lays an egg in their nest before they've laid any eggs, they will build a nest over top of the cowbird egg. And just keep, and just start over. We will find nests that are double stacked and have a secret cowbird egg in them underneath, (laughs) which is crazy. That's so cool. Just entomb the little fucker. They just fucking bury them alive. It's wild. (laughs) Like you just said, like, the birds aren't smart enough to know, and in some cases that may be true, but... As we both know, the whole bird brain thing is kind of a myth. Birds can be really smart. Uh, In fact, cowbirds are so smart that during the training for my job, we were told to take different routes to and from nests and to, like, fake look for nests in other areas in order to fool them. That's crazy. Because they could watch us (laughs) and find nests that way. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so wild. If they realize that we are going to and from a specific site multiple times, they can be like, oh, well, why don't I just pop my little ass right in there? (laughs) Probably should have just been watching cowbirds this whole time and seeing what they do. And that's how I would have found nests, like the little nest parasite that I am. But Oh, yeah, isn't that true? Isn't your job kind of, you kind of are a a professional nest parasite? Ideally, we're not, like, taking any (laughs) resources from the the animals. blood. Just their and blood. Data. Just a and little blood. And they don't blood. need that. Yeah. The birds don't don't know. We can talk later about like all of my coworkers and bosses fear that we traumatize the uh, females. Like alien abduction. Yes, because we do like take their babies and they see it happening. Oh. <laughs> we and we take their babies and we keep them for like an hour, and so like it's very possible that these parent birds are like, well, my nest got predated and are like very sad about it. And then all of a sudden, an hour later, they're like, what the fuck? (laughs) They're back. They're back. (laughs) A miracle. Okay. (laughs) Like, I guess that's fine. She's been praying to little bird Jesus. (laughs) Please bring my babies back. Please bring my babies back. Oh my God, they've been returned. Hallelujah. (laughs) I believe in the Lord. (laughs) All all birds are Southern. This is a little known fact, apparently. (laughs) All birds are very Christian and very Southern. (laughs) Very Southern. So, back to how smart birds are. We would assume that some of these host birds have got to notice that some of their eggs are not like the others, right? Yeah. Shouldn't they have adapted in response to the lack of reproductive success when cowbirds are allowed to hatch? Obviously, like, their babies are not doing well. They're not passing on their genes when their babies die if cowbirds get to stay in their nests. So, shouldn't evolution have just taken care of this? Yeah. I asked my boss all of these very same questions. (laughs) So they told me that host birds can either be cowbird acceptors or cowbird rejectors. Hmm. Now, assuming that host birds are capable of knowing that a cowbird egg is not theirs, why might they nonetheless be a cowbird acceptor? What do you think? The devil you know. (laughs) Will the the cowbird come back and lay another egg? Possible, yes. There's also a more sinister answer. Uh Uh-oh. So to answer my question, my boss shared an incident that they caught on a nest camera. So in the footage, the host bird recognized a cowbird, had snuck its way in among the legitimate offspring, and ejected it from the nest. Just sort of gets gets their little bill underneath it, plops it out. Um, Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it gave it the finger and it went down. Yeah. It's just one little primary feather. <laughs> it sticks up. 
the host parents successfully incubated, and they reared their own nestlings. But this is when things take a turn. So at some point before the nestlings fledge, which is when baby birds can fly from the nest, the cowbird returned. So while the host birds were off foraging, this cowbird began to peck at the host nestlings, and he kept doing this until he had stabbed them to death. Oh my god. Brutal. That's insane. And they so, caught that on footage. Can I see the footage? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do not have access to this, or I would show you if I did, but that's insane. That's, wait, so so the cowbird parents, they they know where they put each of their eggs, yes. and they come back and check up on how they're yes. doing. Distant parent. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So my boss then went on to describe how the host parents returned to find their offspring murdered, and the female bird just sat on the edge of the nest for a really long time, staring into space. The male bird came back with a fo- with food that he had was trying to feed the babies, and he tried to feed his mate, uh, the female, the bug he had brought, um, but she wouldn't accept it. This uh, is so sad. <laughs> it's actually heart wrenching. Uh, my boss like told us this whole story, and then they just went watching that. It was obvious to me that songbirds feel emotions. Like, I could not possibly imagine that they don't after watching that video. Yeah. That's so sad. So, host birds often accept cowbird eggs in their nest because of the fear of retribution. In fact, longer-lived species are more likely to be cowbird acceptors because they've learned the consequences of rejecting. Oh my god. Isn't this nuts? That's so crazy. I knew that cowbirds were nest parasites, but I... I thought that, because usually, like, a a bird that's a nest parasite is a nest parasite so that they can drop it and they don't have to do anything. Cowbirds are like, obviously, they're not having to bring food all day, Mm -hmm. but they're still, like, very involved in the well-being of their offspring. In, like, a horrifying big brother kind of way, yes. In a a Liam Neeson (laughs) taken kind of way. That's insane. So... This form of revenge evolved for cowbirds because it's a way for them to have another shot for their eggs. If the host bird's nest fails early enough in the season because all of their nestlings were murdered, it will likely just build another one and the cowbird can parasitize it again. Mm. So they're doing this because obviously their egg failed because it got rejected. So they're like, if I kill their babies, then they'll make a new nest and I can just put a new egg in that one. Jesus. Which, when you say it like that, makes logical sense, but is also horrifying. <laughs> yeah, logical sense, but it's it's very much like Game of thrones and just insanity. Yeah. So my boss compared this to infanticide in lions, where male lions will kill a female's cubs in the hopes that she will re-enter estrus and mate with him instead. Yeah, nothing gets you in the mood like the death of all your children. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> Cowbirds are also not the only species that does this. There is a whole slew of brood parasites that take revenge on hosts that reject their offspring. Scientists have come up with an absolutely baller name for the idea that hosts accept brood parasites out of fear of retaliation. It's called the Mafia Hypothesis. Fucking hell, I love this. Because <laughs> it makes sense that cowbirds don't have to, their eggs don't have to look like your eggs. Our, our, our nestlings don't have to look like your nestlings so that they can be really generalistic on where they put their net, their, exactly. their 
their eggs they don't have to like single out a, a specific species and copy mm-hmm. the way they look this is brilliant i okay i know that they're like obviously they're super fucked up there's some dark truths about cowbirds i'm learning right now but kind of have a newfound respect for cowbirds that's the problem is that like <laughs> obviously we're wildlife biologists we understand that the circle of life can be brutal and yeah. when it's working the way it's supposed to you can't like hate you can't hate the player hate the game kind of yeah. situation the the cowbird is a bit of an exception in that like they are actively causing a lot of problems for songbird populations in a yeah, lot of areas yeah. including where we live <laughs> and so it's a bit harder to like sort of be like well this is the circle of life yeah. whereas like if this was occurring and this was just sort of like part of the ecosystem and yeah. it was sort of accounted for in the grand scheme of the circle of life of this habitat you'd yeah. be like hey, it's brutal, but it's life. <laughs> Instead, they are, like, actually causing problems. Yeah. But also, like, there is an amount of, like, odd but horrified respect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, so fucked up, I have to kind of admire it a little bit. It's incredible. Now, not every pe- brood parasite is a mafia. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. If eggs were just always accepted, it wouldn't be worth returning for vengeance. If nestling murder or nest destruction, as the hypothesis puts it, was not that common, then hosts would only accept if they had themselves lost a nest in the past. So you need just enough mafias that hosts live in constant fear that they might be next if they don't accept and rear the parasite's offspring. Mafia is a good name for it. It is foster care via extortion. Yeah, you might have to cut out the joke I just said. I was in foster care, so I'm allowed to make jokes about foster care, but maybe not the one I made. <laughs> on that note, any, any further thoughts on cowbirds? I, hey, put me down as a cowbird acceptor. <laughs> it's late 2021 in Lavool Village, a district of Maharashtra, India. I'm. That gonna, sounds good. I'm gonna apologize. I'm gonna say the things I do pronounce correctly. I'm probably gonna say real slow, because that's the only way I can pronounce it correctly. Okay, monkey and dog relations are about to hit an all-time low. Oh dear. Yeah. A group of dogs attack and kill a baby gray langur monkey, as dogs are wont to do. Little do the dogs know, they've just set off a John Wick-esque series of revenge killings. Oh, God. <laughs> Over the course of the next month, a group of Langer monkeys proceed to kidnap as many puppies and small dogs as they can get their little monkey hands on and kill them. How, how big of monkeys are we talking about? They're actually really cute. They're pretty big. Let's see if I, I can find... Because I feel like you say like puppies and small dogs, and I can picture the size there, but monkeys come in a lot of varied forms. I mean, they're pretty cute. They have the, they have the real long tails, which I love in a monkey. That, that little guy's kind of fucked up, but... Um, <laughs> They've also got chin strap beards. They kind of look like a Civil War general <laughs> in a weird way. But I'd say they're they're a medium-sized monkey. Okay. This looks like kind of a bad situation this monkey's in, but here's one next to a guy. It's a pretty small monkey. Big enough to pick up 
A small dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But just barely. But just barely. All right. There's a reason they're going for small dogs. Is what I'm. Yeah, hearing. yeah. It's a it's a good time to be a big dog. <laughs> in in Lavuol Village. Also, we just got an update. Our Domino's is on its way. Tony has left the store. Okay, sorry. Where were we? Langer monkeys are cute. You'd never expect them to commit such atrocities. How do the monkeys kill these puppies, you ask, you morbid fucker? <laughs> they do this by carrying the dogs up to the tops of buildings, bridges, and trees and chunking them off. <laughs> I'm sorry, chunking them off sounds... Chunking them off. That's that's not a euphemism. They're... No, they're just... They're, they're throwing those little poor creatures right off the top of the building. Flat like, on the pavement. I feel like I shouldn't be laughing. That's terrible. It it is terrible, but it's also, it's just so bizarre. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> it is claimed that over the course of a month, the monkeys killed up to two hundred and fifty dogs. That's a whole okay. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of dogs. That's what's claimed though, and I want to make sure to state that maybe take some of the. The, the hard details of this story with a grain of salt because um, it relies on a lot of local people's reports of events and it's hard to tell what's fact, what's rumor, and what might be like exaggeration for the press. Um, but, you know, anywhere even in the neighborhood of 250 dogs is a fuck ton of dogs to be flying down off buildings. And like, and I'm like, well, were there other casualties from the like hurtling dogs from the sky? <laughs> you get you get hit by a falling dog, right? I'm like, there are you know there are <laughs> other life forms who are milling about in the trajectory of the hurtled dogs. Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're we're actually my next sentence of this script is uh, in the local people's defense, they tried to stop the monkeys, and so because of their intervention uh two men were actually in injured because they fell off buildings trying to chase down monkeys that were about to commit dog homicide a, oh my god a, a canine aside if you will no you won't no oh i will not <laughs> oh well i will <laughs> i think it would be cane aside i think you had cane too aside? many i think you had too many syllables not canine aside <laughs> yeah <laughs> That does make more sense. Um, so yeah, yeah. Some some people were injured, but surprisingly not by falling dogs. I guess maybe. Oh, our pizza's here. You might should answer the door. Gift from the gods. Oh, thank God. This has been widely reported as a monkey versus dog gang war. And honestly, it's more like a dog-targeted terrorism on the part of the monkeys. It's small dog genocide out there on the streets of Lavul. Local people were eventually able to get in touch with the Nagpur Forest Department, who captured a couple of the monkey gang members to make an example of them. That's right. Firing wall, one last cigarette, and the option to be blindfolded. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, hold on. I, I'm not sure I fully adjusted everything that you just said. Um, the firing squad bit is a you thing. What are we doing to the monkeys? 
the the monkeys were were safely released into a dogless forest a dogless forest a dogless forest a dogless forest far away from human settlement it's interesting though so the two monkeys that were captured were what seemed to be the primary monkey ringleaders so there were two main monkeys responsible for this. Yeah, two main monkey culprits. These two specifically were the ones that were captured and rehomed because they were responsible for the most dog tossing. Dog tossing also sounds like a euphemism. You gotta stop this. It sounds like a, a, a band name. Dog tossing? Dog tossing and the, the electric monkey wars. I do not want to be in the pit for dog tossing. Who <laughs> <laughs> knew? No. And it looks like the monkey rehoming has worked out so far. Dogs aren't falling from the sky anymore, so that's good. The monkey versus dog war is over. Puppies are safe on the streets once again. But was this actually revenge? Right, okay, so remind me, what did the dogs do to quote-unquote deserve this in the first place? A Nagpur forest wildlife specialist was interviewed about the Langers, and he said that the killing of an infant monkey by the dogs is said to have enraged the monkeys who, in retaliation, are killing the puppies of dogs. But this is as per local residents' reports, and we don't have any proof to back up this theory. He says, it's animal behavior and we cannot ascertain why they are behaving like this. So, if we can't prove that the inciting incident of a, a baby monkey being killed by dogs even happened, then we can't assume a motive. No, not at all. Yeah, I kind of think that the Langers started tossing dogs and the local people retconned a reasoning for this bizarre new monkey hobby and a rumor was born. Because, frankly, if you think about it, like, the idea that, like, they're doing it in retribution for some wrong done to them is almost more palatable than we're going to murder these dogs because we think it's fun. Yeah. Which is, frankly, probably more likely. That is exactly the the theory I'm going to posit. Okay, great. Is that... The, um, because the monkeys would also carry dogs up to the tops of buildings in high places and then just leave them. Like, they didn't always throw the dogs off. Which makes me think that it's more of a novel play behavior. Like, they're, they found that, like, hey, I love playing with a puppy. So do monkeys. But because they're monkeys and they lack the empathy to not hurt the thing they're playing with, they sometimes... Toss them off the building. I mean, kind of the way you'd, like, throw a G.I. Joe out the treehouse as a kid. But you would never do that with an animal. With a, with a li- living, a breathing living organism. Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so sometimes they would get bored or distracted and leave the dogs on top without, without throwing them off. Which makes me think they're just playing. And it seems super brutal to us. If you found out your kid was throwing dogs off of bridges for fun, you would have that kid institutionalized. <laughs> Rightfully so. Oh my god. <laughs> and then there would be a Netflix documentary about them in 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an unfair comparison to make because animals don't have that kind of morality. Kind of like what we talked about with cowbirds. 
Even for intelligent animals like primates, their actions can't be looked at through a moral lens. Like, they just can't perceive shit on that level. They're treating the puppy as a plaything, as a G.I. Joe to toss out the treehouse, not as a living thing that they have empathy for. Right. Or a thing that they hate and want to kill because of some past wrong. Right. So even in the re- if you took it in the revenge context, like they don't have the capacity to be like, I recognize this thing as a fellow living creature. Yeah. That did me wrong, so I'm going to fuck with it in return to get back at it. Yeah. It's like, this thing isn't even a living being. It's a toy. Yeah. If the monkeys were so hell-bent on revenge, I don't think that they would be losing interest in leaving the dogs up on high places without following through. <laughs> you think they're committed their enough goal. to the craft if that yeah. was the goal. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's just play. Really fucking horrifying play, but yes. I mean, monkeys are brutal, and I think it's easier to look at the brutality of birds and say, like, and separate ourselves from it and be mm-hmm. like, these are animals. Then when we look at, like, chimpanzees fighting each other and, like... Oh, and they can, mon- could, like, actually commit genocide. Yeah, and, like, like you know, monkeys tossing dogs. We kind of see ourselves in it, and yeah. it's a little bit more disturbing. It's kind of fucked up. <laughs> we've, we've talked about this before, I think, a couple episodes ago, and we talked about dolphins playing with puffer fish <laughs> and how, like, they can sort of play with their food. And how with a certain amount of intelligence comes the capacity for cruelty. And so while they might not have the capacity for morality in the sense that we think about it, they do have the capacity for higher level emotions than what we've maybe been associating with other animals, which almost makes it worse. Yeah, And they're like, these monkeys are smart enough to understand. Like maybe they can't understand right and wrong because that's a very human concept. Because, yeah. frankly, right and wrong is different for even individual humans. Yeah, I was about to say, it's pretty subjective even amongst humanity. <laughs> right, even amongst people. But they they do understand emotions and they can understand, like, a certain level of things. And so it's almost like they probably could understand that what they're doing <laughs> is yeah cruel in a way. Yeah. And is, like, harming a creature. Yeah. So maybe I walk back a little bit what I said about, like, oh, this is a toy that I don't recognize as a living being. They might actually be able to recognize that this is a living creature and I'm yeah. causing harm to it and they just don't care. Yeah, they might not, they might, they might, you know, there's there's a lot of steps between monkey and, and person in that way, in the, like, brain mm-hmm. development way, where, like, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a long way to go between I recognize this as a living thing and it would be wrong to harm this living thing because I have empathy for it. There's a lot of space there. For sure. Yeah. And there's still, and there's still a lot of space between I recognize this is a living thing and what lots of other creatures are capable of, which can't even do that. Yeah. And so monkeys and lots of other primates exist in this weird sphere of like, they're smart enough to have a certain level of understanding of what this is, but not humans. And this is where human exceptionalism comes in. Yeah. It just, it makes it a little bit more creepy. <laughs> that, that distance is questionable on a good day. That's true. That is true. <laughs> Welcome to BioBabes Ethical Hour. <laughs> BioBabes Ethical con- Quandaries. <laughs> the ongoing series where we eat tater tots and get kind of sad. <laughs>
It's that time of the night when you switch from wine to PBRs. Night is such a loose term. It is 5.52 and so bright outside of your window. It is upsettingly bright. All right. Orca time? It's orca time, baby. It's orca time. Woo! I know you're probably all excited for us to talk about the orcas and how they're nature's punishment for capitalists and we should all join them in their quest to eat the rich. Unfortunately, we are about to burst your bubble. Or sink your boat, rather. Good one. I like that. <laughs> you, like that. you haven't read this, have you? No, none of it. <laughs> Orcas off the coast of Spain and Portugal have been capsizing boats at a rate that we've all decided is more than usual. <laughs> they get an allotted amount. <laughs> and this is an unprecedented amount. <laughs> when I originally was going to take this bit in a different direction, I had you after that saying, speak for yourself. I think they should capsize more boats. <laughs> I stand by that. I stand by your your headcanon of what I would say in this situation. You were correct. I know I am. I know you well. <laughs> Orcas have been known to mess with boats before, but this behavior of actually disabling them, usually by biting the rudder, is pretty novel. According to BoatNews.com, which is the best place for all the biggest news about boats, an orca incident, an orchid-cident, an orca-cident? An orchident? An orchident? Anyways, it occurred earlier this year in the Strait of Gibraltar. Yeah, that's like Spain and Morocco. <sighs> Look at you knowing things. The Strait of Gibraltar is the entrance to the Mediterranean Sea. It's what separates the Mediterranean from the Atlantic. So it's where Spain and Morocco, like, almost touch. <laughs> so much sexual tension it's like, between Spain and it's, Morocco. It's, 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 you know, what's the, like, the creation of Adam painting? And <laughs> one hand is Morocco and one hand is Spain. Yeah. This is a bad, this is a bad podcast bit, but we're recreating the, 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 it's the recreation of, the, of Adam. <laughs> we can't do a geography lesson every goddamn episode, so that's all you're getting. All right. An orca incident occurred earlier this year near the Strait of Gibraltar, in which a 54-foot yacht was attacked by a pod of orcas. The captain slash owner of the boat, who has a very French-sounding name that I didn't put in the script but it was it was fun to read he was interviewed and he claimed to have been the victim of quote an aggressive attack with will to harm far from a simple game for the three orcas this attack quote unquote left his boat with some a little bit of damage to the rudder cry me a river say the orcas <laughs> This attack reportedly lasted 10 to 15 minutes, during which one adult and two subadult orcas damaged the rudder of the boat, while the humans on board threw three smoke bombs into the water, along with a device called a pinger, which is supposed to repel orcas with an ultrasonic sound that kind of hurts their sonar, kind of like a dog whistle. Uh, these measures didn't seem to bother the orcas too much. I was a little bit troubled by the the existence of this pinger device but i'm hoping that like the main use of the pinger based on i know nothing about this so i may be totally wrong but if in my head canon the main use of the pinger is to kind of like send out a signal that the orcas can that it can hear in their frequency 
that lets them know, hey, a, sh- a ship is coming through so that they don't get fucked up in like a, a freighter propeller or something. That's good. But if you're using it like as a targeted like riot control rep weapon against the orcas, it's a little oh bit problematic. <laughs> you can't use it as orca tear gas. You're yeah. so right. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> This is one example of the many orca encounters happening in this area. There have been over 40 attacks so far this year, and that's not counting the encounters that don't result in enough boat damage to be reported. Yeah, so this fucking boatnews.com has quite the, oh, step on me, daddy must, take on the orca situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They write, quote, It would seem that there's a desire to underestimate or play down the situation or even hide the reality of things. The problem is that there is a risk to people and property, more importantly property, not to mention the human and financial consequences, more important financial, of the victims who are not the orcas. And in an earlier bit they talk about Oh, what if somebody fell overboard during one of these vicious attacks? Okay, what if? It didn't fucking happen. Yeah, exactly. Maybe if you weren't lugging uh, gas bombs over the edge of your boat while the orcas were fucking with your rudder, you wouldn't be at risk of falling overboard. (laughs) I just... You know, like, calm the fuck down. The boats are insured, the owners are rich, and no human in the water has ever been attacked by an orca in the wild. And in general, when talking about human-wildlife conflict, the animal is, in fact, usually the victim. Like, we've been talking about all episodes. Humans just have more agency and a higher level of intelligence in these kind of situations, so it falls on us to keep animals and ourselves safe. Which is why you carry bear spray. (laughs) Like it's the same shit. It's not the bear's job not to attack you. You know, the the orcas are not morally obligated not to attack the boat. And it just, it drives me crazy when people are like, oh, but my rudder's damaged. And it's like, aren't we lucky to still have orcas in the wild? Say it again for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) This episode was 100% inspired and even requested by some of our friends by the Orca News. For the last few months, social media has been full of reels and memes that largely support the anti-capitalist actions of these orcas. Hell yeah, let's go. (laughs) For a while, there was an idea that a particular orca had been harmed by a yacht in the past and these attacks were a coordinated revenge plot and more power to them if that were the case. But unfortunately, the more we researched, the more we found no evidence that the boat sinking is a form of vengeance. Orca, side note. Morality might not be black and white, but orcas are. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you been sitting on that? I don't know, it's been stewing. (laughs) The prevailing opinion is that this is a female orca teaching her two or three calves to hunt, and she's using the boat rudders as practice. Because boat rudders waving in the water look a lot like fish fins, and they're an easy target for the young orcas to catch. And this would explain why all the attacks are focused on the rudder specifically. 
if the orcas were trying to sink some of these small sailboats, they would absolutely be able to do so. That's just not their goal. Orcas are capable motherfuckers, and if they wanted to sink your boat, they fucking would. Yeah, so why don't you be grateful? <laughs> the orcas have not deigned to sink your rich-ass boat that you shouldn't even have in the first place. She's just trying to teach her kids how to survive out there in the big, bad ocean. <laughs> Maybe you should figure out how to make your rudder not look like a shiny tuna swimming through the water, and you wouldn't have this problem. You know, now you've started to sound a little victim blaming, but I guess if we're not imagine <laughs> if we're not imagining the billionaires as victims, which how could we? They're not. <laughs> They're fucking not. I guess it doesn't apply. Unfortunately, orcas seeking revenge is a better headline, but this anthropomorphization is actually dangerous. Even though the eat the rich bit was mostly a joke and the majority of the internet is on the orcas side, we've still painted their motives as one of violent intent. As a result, many wealthy boat owners are going full Captain Ahab. They're arming themselves with weapons and adding defensive spikes to their boats. This is tragically just going to result in hurt or dead orcas. But hey, as long as your fancy sailboats don't get a boo-boo, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just... The only way you reach modified harpoon as the correct answer is by imagining some kind of Moby Dick scenario where somehow the orcas deserved it. Instead of playing or doing anything else that orcas do, in the public mind, they're intentionally hurting us, so it's okay to hurt them back. Yeah, it's so fucking... It's so fucked up! Yeah. TLDR, the orcas are not out for revenge, and as important as it is to support the orca movement, they'd probably rather you donated to orca conservation instead of cheering them on to Shania Twain. The orcas aren't on, like, TikTok or Instagram, unfortunately. Yeah, your views and likes do not do anything for them. They're not, not, not for anybody, really. The theme of this episode was supposed to be about animal revenge, but it's really become an exploration of the human tendency to anthropomorphize animal behavior and apply human emotions and morals on animals that completely lack the capacity for it. It was actually kind of difficult to find a fact for this episode. When we talked about it initially, several stories came to mind, but the more I researched them, the more they ended up just not being about revenge. Like, I looked up that story from last year about the elephant who apparently trampled a poacher to death and then showed up at her funeral and trampled her corpse. Oh, I do remember this. Yeah. So... It turns out that the victim was not a poacher. She was just a random 60-year-old lady who was out gathering water and got unlucky. So later at her funeral, the mourners were attacked by what may or may not have been the same group of elephants. In all likelihood, it was just a horny bachelor herd of elephants all roid raging during must. And don't get me wrong, this is a wild story and a heck of a coincidence. But revenge it does not seem to be. And that's what I keep running into. Animals behaving aggressively and humans twisting that story to fit motives that make sense to us. So as we talked about, most animal species 
aren't out there committing acts of vengeance against each other or against humans. It takes a significant amount of intelligence to even understand that another animal has wronged you, and even more so to hold grudges and get payback. Few animals seem to possess this level of intelligence. A lot of the time when a tiger escapes from the zoo and mauls someone, we tend to <laughs> anthropomorphize that behavior and say, oh, well, that tiger was plotting his escape and he attacked the zookeeper out of revenge. When in actuality, animals are almost always acting out of instinct based on their current situation and not based on past grudges. There are, however, some animals that are pretty fucking smart. It's only the very highly socially intelligent animals that have been observed committing acts that we as humans would recognize as revenge-esque. I think of corvids as a really good example of an animal that does actually kind of display revenge-like behavior. So crows have been known to recognize individual humans who they've had negative interactions with in the past and attack those specific people on site. They've also been known to get it wrong though and might attack all men or anybody with a red hat or whatever. But we're gonna do a Corvids episode eventually so I'll save my love of crows for another time. Even in the case of cowbirds and their hosts that we talked about earlier, what we see as revenge or even on the flip side, the grief that we saw in the host bird are evolutionary responses, which isn't to say that they aren't important or valid, and it certainly makes you think a little bit more about our own emotional capacities. At the end of the day, everything is an evolutionary response. <laughs> Even our emotions. It's all just chemicals firing in that little meat sack that we call a brain. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> we don't have to spell it out for you. The line between revenge and evolutionary instincts is very, very blurred. Especially when you're an orca. Fuck those yachts, Telecom is right. <laughs> That's all for this episode of BioBabes. Next time on BioBabes, ants can count their steps, bury their dead, and recognize themselves in a mirror, and we need to talk about it. Bye! Bye! <laughs> Kelsey on our script has uh, deleted the part that normally says jokes and now says Kelsey's new surprise ending bit, winky face, which is both intriguing and horrifying. Because <laughs> anytime I put a winky face on a Google Doc, there's a 50% chance I just flash my tits at the other person and the bit's done. And that's not good for podcasting. Well, I would enjoy that. I don't think the <laughs> listeners would. So I have a personal gripe with the jokes bit that I created myself on the first episode as a fun joke because I happen to have a good penguin joke. And ever since then, finding jokes for the end of the episode has become a heavier and heavier burden. <laughs> and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of this, Grandpa. And so I've been trying to figure out a way to weasel my way out of it. I, all I have for you is a poem. <laughs> you you act like you are giving me a consolation prize when in fact you have delivered a poem. I am so excited. You haven't heard the poem yet. <laughs>
The CO2 is getting thicker and all the CEOs get richer. But the oceans and the stakes are rising. The whales are plotting your demises. Odontoceti is getting petty and the 1% should all get ready. <laughs> the oil from the rigs is spilling. The billionaires still make a killing. The corals are all bleaching white and the politics are leaning right. This exploitation can't go on. <laughs> the orcas need to kill Elon. <laughs> We're sick of swimming in your trash. We're orcas and we're here to smash. Your fancy boats ride into mash. We'll sink you deep into the sea and feed you to the anemones. <laughs> Is it still going? It's still going. I gotta. There's I gotta, so many stanzas of this. <laughs> Holy shit. It was gonna be a song. <laughs> All the killer whales wanna eat Bezos like a serving of soggy potatoes. Telecom, he was a hero, and your chance of survival is zero, so you better all stay out of the water or your rich asses are getting slaughtered. We've got a solution to the pollution. We're gonna get our retribution. Free Willy's gonna eat your legs, and it won't do any good to beg. <laughs> your net worth cannot help you here. You're the bycatch of your deepest fears. Oh, Billy Gates, just hide and wait. You're gonna get your Asian gate. It's such a shame your yachts are sunk. You didn't think you could get punked by all these whales so sweet and mild, but things are getting wet and wild. <laughs> That's the poem. Oh my God. You, I was, I was done. I was dead. I was deceased the minute that you rhymed Odontoceti. <laughs> I knew that you would be the only person in my life that got that joke and that you would, you would love it. I did. I really did. Odontoceti is the Latin name for toothed whales. <laughs> <laughs>